0: So about the last three minutes, I've been trying to figure out how can I make an entrance like John did, and I got nothing, so here I am. So anyway, hey, I'm glad you're here today. If you can't tell, there's a lot of excitement in our church about VBS this week, about the kiddos that are going to come here, um, about all of the great things that are going to happen this week. We pray that it is all um, in God's name and to God's glory and so from the decorations that you see here and in the foyer and the other train at the end of the Great Hall, uh, just know you're just seeing a, a, a glimpse of the things that are going to happen here this week. So if you're coming to volunteer, thank you. We appreciate that. If you're coming, uh, your kids are coming, we're grateful for that as well. But I want to ask something of you for everyone else that's not, and you're, you're not going to know much about BBS except for what you may see um, this week coming out from the church or what you hear next Sunday morning when you come here. And that's that we want to ask you to pray. be in prayer about the things that are going to happen here for all of the kids that are coming. So many are from our church family, but so many are not as well. And so we just pray for God to be glorified, God to be honored, and God to be at work in the lives of these kids. And if you could join us in that prayer every day this week from Monday through Thursday, we'd be so honored for you to do so and so grateful for you to do so as well. So... Uh, my name is Monty, by the way. If you don't know me, I spend most of my time working with our middle schooler and high school students here um, at church. Occasionally I come up and song lead as well. And you need to know something. When I get confused in a sermon, I just say, let's stand and sing. So if I do that at any point, just go along with it. I'll figure out what I'm doing and we'll be back uh, back doing the message after that. Um, Kelly has been leading us through a series called Out of the Shadows. And for the last two weeks, we've been talking about what are the encounters that Jesus had when he takes someone that's on the fringe of society or in a, a, a desperate place and brings them up out of the shadows that they are in and into a place of healing and into a place of restoration. And so two weeks ago, we talked about a man in Matthew 9 who was paralyzed and his friend's Brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked beyond the man's infirmities and saw his greater need, which is the same greater need that you have and the same greater need that I have, which is the spiritual healing that Jesus brought to this man through the forgiveness of sins. And so, he not only forgived, uh, sorry, not only healed his physical limitations, but he also healed his, um, his 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 spiritual limitations, forgave him for his sins, and then last week. Also out of Matthew chapter 9, Kelly talked to us about uh, the woman who came up and was able to touch the, 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 just the, the edge of Jesus' garment and who had been in the shadows her, for much of her life and had dealt with a, with a sickness, with an illness. She touches Jesus and, and she is thrust out of the shadows into the spotlight when Jesus turns around and acknowledges her in front of everyone and looks at the woman and said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And so we've talked about those two things, and today we're going to jump into something I'm so excited about. Uh, talking about a woman who meets Jesus at a well out of John chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible and want to be in that or on a device, you're welcome to do so. If you want to use one of the Bibles in the pew, you're welcome to. The, the verses that we'll talk about this morning are going to be on the screen as well. However, you will know that we can't put everything up there at the same time, and we've got about 40 verses to go through in about 30 minutes or so. So we're going to hit some high points and, and skip some points that we'd love to unpack as well. Um, but... We're going to do the best we can with that. So let me pray for us as we begin, and then we'll jump into the word for this morning. So God, we uh, come before you as your people and we thank you for being in this place with us as we worship. We thank you for being a God who loves us, who hears our prayers, who forgives us, who heals us, who brings us up out of the shadows of our life and you bring us to a place where you restore us. uh, You bring us into a right relationship with you. We're so grateful for that. And I pray that for the next few minutes as we open your word and look um, at this story of Jesus encountering this woman in John chapter 4, Um, God, be with us, help our hearts to to understand the things you want us to understand, help our eyes to see the things you want us to see, and may you be present in this room and in this place. It's through Jesus that I ask that, amen. So one of the biggest challenges of jumping into something that you've probably heard before, because this is probably not a new story in the Bible, not a new text to many of us, is that you have the tendency to say, oh, I've heard it all before. And actually, it's been less than a year that we've spent time talking about this exact story here in this room together. You may have talked about it in a Bible class or maybe in your own personal study as well. But there are some things that I really want you to see today in this story of the woman at the well and some things specifically about how Jesus brings her out of the shadows. And I think it's going to be a... a, a helpful thing today. So Kelly has talked to us about the honor-shame culture that um, was present at the time that Jesus was there, that it was very much a, I'm better than you or I'm less than you, um, that people would size each other up by doing that. We may tend to do some of that in our own society, but our society is not built on that the way that the society was built in in first century. He's also talked to us about how It wasn't intended to be that way. And so the first two chapters of Genesis, we look at that and we see the relationship that we had with God, that Adam and Eve had with God, that it was a face-to-face and a side-by-side relationship until sin entered the world. And then that changed everything to where there is a desire for power and a struggle for control. And if you don't notice that desire for power and struggle for control, you just have to look around a little bit in our society and you see it absolutely everywhere. So with that, let's start with John chapter 4. Let's look at verse 1. And we're just going to go through some of this. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. And so just with these first six verses, we have some history here. We have some reason that Jesus is here. We have the idea that Jesus is going through Samaria. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a second. We've also got the place. He's at Jacob's well. We've got the time. It's noon. Um, and we've got what Jesus is doing. He's tired. He's weary. Because he is fully man, but he is also fully God. But he's, his, fully, his, his, his uh, human characteristics now have caused him to be weary. He is set down at the, this well but he set down at this well for a purpose. And it's more than just for a drink of water. So a Samaritan woman approaches, and here's verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone to town to buy food. John throws that in there just so we'd know why it's Jesus all alone, because most of the time his disciples had been with him. But you need to know something. When it talks about... A Samaritan woman came to draw a well, and you notice that, look up in verse um, verse 6, that it was about noon. You need to know that something is wrong here. There's something that's off in this story that is not consistent with the Jewish lifestyle or the Samaritan lifestyle or the first century lifestyle. And that is that no one would go to the well at noon because people went to the well in the morning and went to the well in the evening. And while it was a daily task that we don't have to do, and thank goodness, right, that we're not having to go to the well and draw water all the time just to bring in, I'm so thankful for for the water that we have and the water systems that we have, but she had gone there and that was part of her daily routine as it was for everyone in that village. And they would usually come as a part of community because community was such an important part of life in that time and she was there by herself. And she was there at noon, not when everybody else goes to do that. And so if you're looking at this and you're reading it through first century eyes and you're saying, it's kind of strange that she would show up at noon by herself, you'd be absolutely right. And we're going to find out a little bit more about that. So look at verse 9. Verse 9 says this, their Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? So in verse 7, Jesus has said, will you give me a drink? And the Samaritan woman responds, wait a minute. You, you, can't, you can't ask me for a drink because you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. And in parentheses there, if your Bible has the parentheses in it, it simply says Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And within that one sentence, you need to know that there's a lot of things going on there and a lot of history that's going on there because for over 700 years, the Jews and Samaritans had been at odds with each other. So when Jesus is born onto this earth and into this earth, He comes to a society and to a culture where Jews and Samaritans are not in fellowship with each other. They are hated by each other. There's animosity between them. And this happened long before Jesus was there. So you go all the way back in Old Testament times, if you know much about Old Testament history, uh, you recognize this. If you don't, let me give you a, a quick synopsis of this. But in 722 BC, when the Northern Kingdom fell and Assyria came and invaded, there were the Israelites that that some went off, some stayed behind, but there were some that did what God had told them not to do, and that was to intermingle and intermarry with other nations and other tribes. And he said that because he didn't want them to take their focus off the living God and put their focus on idols, because he knew that if they went and married into other cultures, went and married into other nations, that they would then embrace the gods of those other nations, and embrace the, embrace the false gods of those other nations. And God did not want them to do that. And so someone who would be half Jewish and half something else would be a Samaritan. And so the Jews would look at these people with animosity and say, you're just a half breed. That's literally what they would call them is, is that they would, they would say, you're not really one of us and you're different than us. And they would have hatred for them and there would be animosity between them because the Jews would say, we have followed the word of God and you have not followed the word of God. Therefore, we will not fellowship with you. We will not have association with you. It got so bad that eventually the Samaritans built their own temple to worship in. And so they, on Mount Gerizim in Samaria, constructed their own temple and said, this is the place we'll worship. And the Jews had Jerusalem. They would worship there in the temple that was there. And it continued, the the hatred, the animosity, the dislike for each other continued. So that in 128 BC, the Jews actually went over into Samaria and destroyed the temple the Samaritans had built on Mount Gerizim. And not to be outdone, a little after Jesus was born, about 6 or 9 A.D., somewhere in there, the Samaritans came and desecrated the temple in Jerusalem just before Passover and, um, and got back at them for what they had done so long ago. So that's a little history. If you hate history, we're done. We'll talk about some other stuff for just a second. But I wanted you to know that. And I wanted you to know that there are two distinct people groups with different beliefs and different places of worship Um, and different of scriptures even in what they accepted. And the hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans, it was strong. And it had been that way for over 700 years. So when you read in parentheses there for Jews do not associate with Samaritans, someone would look at that and say, yeah, duh, you're right. They don't even come close to associating with each other. And yet we have Jesus, a Jew, talking with this woman who's a Samaritan at this well, at Jacob's well. You may remember, if you look at the story of the Good Samaritan, there was a, a, a teacher of the law who asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus goes through this whole story of the Good Samaritan, but at the end of that story, something really interesting happens, and that is that Jesus asked them who would be the one that did the right thing, and the man who answered him couldn't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. He just said, the one who did what was right, the one who showed love. There was so much hatred, they couldn't even say the word Samaritan with that, and so, so that's the Samaritan, that's the Jews, that's the hatred, the animosity that they don't associate with each other. You also need to know that Jesus is going through Samaria and he's going through this, uh, this place that normally Jews would go around to some extent. Some Jews would go through it. When they did, there was often skirmishes, often fights that would be there. But you've got Judea to the south, you've got Samaria in the middle, and you've got Galilee to the north. And Jesus is going from Judea to Galilee and he's got to go through Samaria. They could go around, and from what I've read, it's a difference of about three days going through, ten days going around. Probably pretty accurate for that. Jesus goes through. But the reason he's going through is not because he's looking for the shorter distance. Jesus has something in mind. Jesus has a divine appointment at a well one day. So when Jesus finds himself at this well and finds himself sitting there, it's not just because he's thirsty for a drink. It's because he knows that someone is coming. And so he finds himself at this well. He's talking to a woman, something which would not be done in first century culture. And that's hard for us to understand because it's very common for men to talk to women in our culture. But in that culture, in that society, it was not accepted and it was definitely not common. It was not something that should be done. And so, Jesus, you need to know, he didn't come to turn things upside down by rebelling in this. He came to turn things right side up because he has a plan for this woman and he has a love for this woman and he has a Um, A a time he's going to spend with this woman who's in the shadows, bringing her up out of the shadows. I can't explain to you how um, unusual it would be for a Jewish man, a Jewish rabbi of Israel, to be sitting at a well with a Samaritan woman at noon. It it didn't happen. It's not just unlikely, it's not just irregular, it just didn't happen. But yet, when we look at this story, and when we look at how the conversation went Who reaches out first and who talks to who first and who asks who for a drink of water and who is the one that comes and tries to bridge the chasm that's been there for 700 years because remember Jews do not associate with Samaritans and Jesus is the one that's reaching out and Jesus is the one that's building the bridge and we can imagine her shock. We can imagine what she would be thinking, why why is this man talking to me? There's got to be something more that's happening here. And Jesus says, will you give me a drink? He's not coming out of any kind of um, trick to place the woman in. He's not coming because he's going to try to do something to get back at her because she's a Samaritan and he's a Jew. He's coming and speaking to her. And I want you to try to do something as we walk through this story. I want you to try to imagine the way Jesus would speak to her. And I want you to imagine what the voice would be like because we have the words here, but it's kind of like, you know, when you read a text message, you read a text message and you can't really tell the tone sometime. I want you to try to tell the tone that Jesus is talking with here as he speaks to this woman. And I want you to hear the love and the care and the kindness and the concern that he has for this woman. But I want you to go a step further than that as well. As we talk about this, and we'll talk about this right at the the end, I want you to try to imagine yourself in this woman's place. I want you to try to imagine yourself coming and you're in a conversation with Jesus because Jesus has appointed this conversation for you to be there. And so as you hear Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman, I want you to imagine yourself there. And I want you to imagine what that conversation would be like as if Jesus were talking to you face to face. So look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asks you for a drink, you'd have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now remember, she's just said, How can you ask me for a drink? You need to know that she's thinking physical water. Jesus is thinking spiritual water. And it's going to take a moment for her to bridge this gap between the physical water and the spiritual water, the physical water that's in the well and the living water that Jesus is talking about here. Verse 11, Sir, the woman said, You've nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So this woman is still thinking physical water, right? She's still the one that, unlike us, has had to go to the well every day. She's still the one that tomorrow will have to go back to the well again because the water that she has is going to run out, and she's going to need more water, and she has to have water to survive. And so when Jesus comes and says, hey, there's some water you can have that you're not going to thirst again, she's thinking, wow, what could this be? I need to know more about this. And so she does ask about that. So again, 15, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. It's just what Jesus would want, right? He's come to someone, he has talked to them about the living water, and she says, I will have it. I would like the living water. That's great. Tell me more about that. And we would expect Jesus Jesus to say, Yes, okay. So here's the plan. Here's what needs to change in your life. Here is the steps to salvation that you need to know, and you're going to understand this, and this is a great day for you. But look at verse 16. Instead of saying, here's how to get the living water, here's what to do, he told her, go and call your husband and come back. To which she replies, I have no husband. Okay, if you don't notice the strange turn that this conversation takes, let me kind of walk you through this for a second. Because Jesus is talking about water. We have a woman who has come to a well. She is drawing water. Jesus has said, can I have a drink of water? And then they get in a conversation about water that's eternal, that doesn't run out, that Jesus calls living water. And who said anything about a husband? This woman didn't bring up her husband. She wouldn't bring up her husband because of what we're going to find out in just a second And they've just been talking about wells and they've been talking about water. And now all of a sudden this other topic comes in and it's not just a topic that is just like, oh, yeah, well, okay, I'll do that. It's a topic that we're going to find out is at the heart of probably her deepest hurt and her deepest pain and her deepest shame. See, first century was a time that was much different than ours in many ways, not just a well and drawing water from it but society in the way society was made up to where women were not viewed in the way that with value and with worth, but instead were viewed more like property. And so this woman would have had value connected with whoever the man in her life was. So it was her dad as she was younger. It would be her husband when she got married. If her husband died and passed away, it would likely be her son that would then be her worth and her value and protection that she would have. Because again, in that society, the number of rights they had and the number of privileges they had were very few. And most everything they had was connected with the man in her life. And so you look at this and you say, Well, why would Jesus go and touch at the heart of her pain and her struggling and her shame? This has nothing to do with wells and with water. And yet it does. Because when Jesus asks her to go get her husband, and I asked you a second ago to think about what that conversation might have been like and the tone that he had, but think about the tone that she would have when she says, I have no husband. I don't think it was just a simple matter-of-fact conversation. I have no husband. And then going on with the conversation. I think it was a moment that brought pain. I think it was a moment that you could hear it in her voice when she is talking about that because it's not just the fact that she wasn't married at the time, but there was so much hurt and so much struggle that had happened previously in her life from broken relationships that were there. And I don't know about you, but any time... There's something in my life that I don't want someone to find out, and they find that out. There's shame there, or there's confusion there, or there's how did you know those things about that? So I think that you and I maybe at some level can relate to some of her confusion, maybe relate to some of her shame. You're right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. So in Jesus in this conversation, and if you can feel this conversation, went from a conversation about wells and waters to a conversation that's very deep now. Because Jesus has asked her to go get her husband. She says, I don't have one. And here, without knowledge of this that she would ever understand, he comes and says, you're right you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five, and now there's a man you're living with that's not your husband. You need to know that in Jesus's world, and in a time that they were alive and in the first century, this woman's world, the Samaritan world, and the Jewish world, the legal right to divorce belonged exclusively to husbands. Women's ha- women had no right to divorce a man. And if so, if a divorce was going to happen, it was always the husband leaving the wife, the man leaving the wife. And in this world where men had so much power and so much authority and so much patriarchy, it would leave a woman vulnerable. It would leave a woman without protection. It would likely leave a woman without an income. And that was a difficult place to be when the right of divorce belonged only to men. But also you need to know that there are five different men who had married her. And now there's not the story that fleshes out that we can see here's exactly how everything happened. We can only predict that not all five of these ended in a death, and she was a widow five different times. But it's very likely there was divorce in there multiple times. So there's five men that had married her, there's multiple men at least that had left her, and they've left her open, they've left her vulnerable. They've left her liable in a world where men rule everything. And so when Jesus says, go call your husband, and she says, I have no husband, you need to know this is not a sin and repentant type of conversation. Jesus is not looking at that and say, you're right. You have not been able to make a marriage last. And so therefore, you need to repent on your knees right now. No, Jesus is not looking at this and looking at the sin and looking at the repentance that this woman would have. Instead, he's going right to the heart of something much deeper. And that's to get at her pain that she's experienced and the shame that she feels that has led her to not go to the well with every other woman in that community, but to avoid them all and go at noon when no one else would be there. Jesus goes and cuts right through everything and goes to the pain, and goes to the shame. And if you look at that and say, well, how could he do such a thing? I've got great news, because as this story goes on, you're going to see something beautiful in the Lord, and you're going to see something beautiful in the life of this woman as he brings her out of this. Because as she names her shame, as he names her shame, there is a lifting that is going to start happening and there is a restoration that is going to start happening, that this woman is going to be taken from the person that avoids everyone else to something much, much different. But I want you to hear and understand this part of the story, because most of the time we look at this and say, oh, five husbands, five endings to marriages, where that's all divorces or something else, she's heard that. She's heard that five times. She's heard the ridicule that comes from the community. She's come from the, heard the people that say, you just can't keep a man, can you? She's heard the, the ridicule that comes from the other people that with the multiple endings of marriages. And can you imagine what she felt like when Jesus said to her, you're right. You have had five husbands and the man you're currently with is not your husband. So Jesus is going to lay in. He's going to take hold of her shame, but the next question in your mind maybe, what's he going to do next? And how is he going to do anything with this when he's going to her deepest, maybe pain point in her life, and the reason that she's all alone at the well at noon by Jacob's well in the heat of the day with Jesus. But from this point on, We're going to see Jesus lifting her and restoring her and bringing honor to her, and it's a beautiful thing. So look at verse 19 with me. Verse 19 says this. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Okay, do you get the feeling she's trying to change the conversation here? That she's looking at this and saying, whoa, this is a little bit too deep. Let's talk about something else. You're obviously a very smart man. Where should we worship? Because she knew that Jews worshipped at a place different than Samaritans. She knew that Mount Gerizim was the place where Samaritans worship, and the Jews would worship in Jerusalem. So she simply asks, where do we worship? But who thinks Jesus is somehow going to get back to her pain? So look at verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. He's saying the Samaritans are not worshiping the true God. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come. And listen to that. He is the one that has brought the time that has now come, right? He's saying a time is coming and has now come because Jesus brought that to the earth. A time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers that God seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. And I love it here that what Jesus declares is what he does. So look at the end of verse 23. At the end of verse 23, it talks about these are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God seeks worshipers who will worship in spirit and truth. God is looking for people who will worship in spirit and truth. And in that moment, Jesus is seeking someone who would worship in spirit and in truth. It is the God who has always loved sinners. And the God who has always forgiven sinners. That Jesus is reaching out to that same type of person. And he's reaching out and he is seeking after And he had to go through Samaria and he was at the well when the woman arrived and he started a conversation with this woman because there's more going on here than just this woman and the shame that she's been in and Jesus piling on like probably so many others had done in the past. And so here's what Jesus says. He says that God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth and we could spend a whole sermon, and I would actually love to do that, spend a whole sermon talking about that, but we've got to go to something else right now. And that is that you need to know in this conversation, it's really unlikely for a, a male to be speaking to a female in public. And it's really unusual for a rabbi of Israel, someone who's a teacher, to talk to a Samaritan woman at noon in the heat of the day where everyone could see it. But there's something more in this conversation that's happening and that Jesus is talking to her and Jesus is actually honoring her in something that would not happen in a first century world is that when Jesus is talking to her, he starts talking about theology. Here's a Jewish rabbi talking to a Samaritan woman. And they don't just talk about surface level things or about water and move on. But Jesus honors her and cares about her and starts discussing things of God about who he is and about where he's worshipped and about what it is and how it is. And he's having this conversation, not with another rabbi, not with the Pharisees, not with the Sanhedrin. He's having this conversation with a Samaritan woman who has been divorced five times, now living with the sixth man. And he's talking Bible and he's talking theology with her. Now, if you don't notice that's a big deal, I want to tell you that's a big deal. And that's an incredible part of the story that we can't see sometime when we just read through it quickly and go through and, and, and look at what the text says, but to know what the text says and what is happening there as Jesus talks to her, it's significant. So look at verse 25. Verse 25 says, "'The woman said, "'I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming.'" when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then verse 26, one of the most impactful verses, one of the most incredible things Jesus can say, then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. She brings up the Messiah. She brings up saying that I know that someone is coming and Okay, what you've said is nice, but when he comes, he's going to tell us all the things we need to know. He's going to really make this. So she, again, is pushing the conversation off just a little bit, and Jesus just comes forth and just says exactly who he is. He looks at the Samaritan woman and then openly and publicly acknowledges who he is, that he is the Lord. He says, I am he. And you hear reflections of God saying, I am in the Old Testament. You hear reflections that are coming when John records the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John I am the bread of life, I am the good shepherd, all the things that he says with that. But this happens before that when he says, I am he. And what do you think she felt? And what do you think she thought? But there's something even more. You know how like in life they say there's only one chance to make a first impression? You don't get a second chance to do that. And so, you know, you're teaching your kids or you're telling someone else, hey, make a good impression at this job interview or make a good impression with this teacher or make a good impression with whatever you're doing. You can only do first things one time, right? So you can only go to Kansas for the first time once. You can only ride on an airplane for the first time once. You can only preach beside a train for the first time once. Like there's only certain things you can do one time. And so there's something that Jesus does here for the first time as far as we can tell and as far as John records, and that is that he tells her who he is. He reveals himself as the Lord, he reveals himself as Messiah, he reveals himself to Christ in someone other than the closest circle to him, but for the first time to an outsider. And notice, it isn't to someone of nobility, it isn't to someone who's rich, it is not to someone of high political position, it is instead at noon by a well, by Jacob's well, talking to a Samaritan woman, not a Jewish person, but a Samaritan woman woman and he tells her I am the messiah and now 2000 years later we sit and we continue to look at this story we continue to tell the story we continue to read this story and we're still talking about this woman and we're still thinking about the interaction that she had with Jesus do you see how far we've come Do you see that Jesus is at a well and he's talking with this woman and this woman comes up and the first thing is, can I have a drink of water? And the conversation through all the highs and lows that we have so beautifully recorded by John here and, and that they talk through this and she is gone from this person who is an outcast of society, having to come to the well at noon, avoiding other people. And all of a sudden, Jesus is saying... I want you to know, and I want you to know before others that I am the Christ, I am the Messiah that has come to this world. And you can see that there is a lifting a restoring of this woman as he continues to talk to her about theological things, as he continues to be in conversation with her, someone with a past that has been difficult and a past that has been painful and someone that's of a different ethnicity, a Samaritan, and he is a Jew. And believe it or not, we still have more to the story. So look at verse 27. So verse 27 says this, just then the disciples, these are the guys that were off getting food, that were using with Jesus, they returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. So look for a moment, if you will, at... Verse 27, they come back. They realize this is very unusual for Jesus to be talking to someone, but they've learned by now, don't ask Jesus what he's doing because Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. They are surprised to find him talking to a Samaritan woman. And around the time that the disciples get back, the woman leaves. And she doesn't leave. And think about how this story could go. This story could just kind of end right here. And the woman left and ran away. Or the woman left and went back to town and said, There's a guy that's crazy out by the well. Let's go get him now. And sends all the men to go and try to attack Jesus. But no, this woman goes, and the very same people that she had been trying to avoid by being at the well at noon are the same people that she goes back and talks to. And verse 29 says, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Remember, she's been trying to avoid the shame of what has happened in her life and the circumstances of her life, and now there is something that has happened in her life and in her heart that she's saying, no, come meet a man who's told me everything I ever did. Can you see the change that's happening in her? And can you see the life change that's when Jesus talks about living water, that it changes, that it comes inside and it comes out of you, and it's, it's eternal, it's, it's always springing forth. Can you see that starting to happen in this woman's life? So we're going to skip down a few verses. Well, look at verse 30 first. We talked about this. They came out of the town and made their way toward him. But then look at verse 39. Verse 39 says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him, and listen to why, because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Think about what that was like when she went back to that town and started saying that. And think about what it's like for a woman who was not allowed to even testify in court. Their testimony would not be listened to. Their testimony would not be heard. And she goes and she gives her story, her testimony, literally, about what she's just experienced, about what she has seen. And she says, he told me everything I ever did. I don't think she was going and saying, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. There is difference in her life. There is living water that is taking place in her life. And I think there is joy that is in her life. He told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So look at verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. Now remember for a second. Jews do not associate with Samaritans, and the Samaritans do not associate with Jews. And this story has changed so much that now they are asking Jesus and begging Jesus and his disciples, please stay here. And so he stayed two days, and because of his words, many more became believers. You know, they heard for themselves what Jesus had said but they would not have heard for themselves what Jesus had said if that woman had not gone there before if this Samaritan woman had not gone before and said come meet a man who told me everything I ever did could this be the messiah they hear her words and they believe her words and because her words were not just about her her words were pointing people to Jesus they come and meet Jesus And they hear his words, and they start to believe in him. We have heard for ourselves and know this man is a savior of the world. If you ever wondered how far Jesus can take someone, this is an incredible story about it. And this is a great example about what he can do. He can take someone who's anchored in shame at noon and all along at a well In the heat of the day, avoiding everyone else. And by the end of the story, she becomes arguably the very first missionary who goes out to tell people about Jesus and brings them back to him. She's the one bearing witness and they are listening to her and believing her. And then they're extending hospitality to Jesus and his disciples because of her. All the while, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And then this whole village is acknowledging that Jesus is the Savior of the world. So verse look at verse, 20, sorry, verse 42. Verse 42 says this, They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. They listened to her, and they were driven to him. They heard the words that she said, and it pointed them to the Christ. You know, her testimony was, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. I want you to think for a moment, what's your testimony this morning? What is the thing that you would say? What is your story that you would share if you had just a moment to share the story of Jesus with someone? Do you have that in your head, or is it just something, well, I hope I think of something to say in the moment? What's your testimony that you would say? We know hers and we know because she focused on Jesus. She said things and it pointed them toward him and drove them toward him. But notice something else, and I may be wrong about this, but I think I'm right, in that as you look at this and you see what the Samaritans said, they called Jesus the Savior of the world. I think they're the first people group to do that. And they didn't say, here is the Savior of the Samaritans. Here is the Savior of the Jews. When they look at that, we know this man really is the Savior of the world. Every tribe, every nation, every race, every color, this man is the Savior of the world. So I want you to think about the journey of this woman for just a few minutes. And think about the place where she was. And coming to a well to get water just as she had done every day at a time that she wouldn't be around other people. At a time in her life where she was marginalized and again becomes arguably the first missionary that goes out and teaches the word of Jesus and goes out to tell other people about Jesus. But I want you to notice that it is Jesus who was doing all of this in her life. It is Jesus who generously raised her up and restored her to the person that God had created her to be. He was the one that had to go through Samaria. He was the one that sat by the well and waited for her. He was the one that reached out first. He was the one that bridged the gap between the Jews and the Samaritans. He was the one that introduced living water of the soul to her. He was the one who named the shame that she was experiencing, named the pain that she was experiencing and called it out. And he met her where she was. And he loved her despite the difficulty that she had faced in her life. He honored her. He respected her by talking theology with her and talking about the Lord. He gave her a one-time gift of being the first person that he would reveal that he was the Messiah to. It's what we have recorded in the Gospel of John. And then she becomes a witness to her community. And you need to know something. If Jesus can do that to a woman 2,000 years ago, he can do that exact same thing for you today. No matter the pain, no matter the shame, no matter the hurt that you've experienced in your life, the living Jesus who was there in this story that really was true is the same living Jesus that's alive today who loves us and is in relationship with and loves you. And he sees your shame and loves you no matter what. And he sees your pain and loves you no matter what. And sees your sin and continues to love you through it. What Jesus did for her is exactly what Jesus will do for you. And if there is shame or if there is pain in your past that you've had trouble getting over, Jesus already knows it. And Jesus is already walking through it. acknowledge it and accept his forgiveness. And accept how he is going to help you to move past it. There's sometimes that pain we've experienced or sin we've experienced or sin we've intentionally chosen in our own life, we have a hard time getting past it. We have a hard time letting go and forgiving ourselves for the choices that we have made and the things that we have done in our past. And the guilt piles up and the guilt is heavy and the guilt is strong. And yet the Savior of the world today comes to us and with open arms, And love that is more than we can understand or imagine calls us his child. And in the same way he loved this woman, he loves you as well. And if you've been walking with Jesus for a long time or never begun a relationship with Jesus, or you're just here and you're curious about what Jesus is all about, I want you to see his love for others today and how he brings people out of the shadows and into a restored life with a restored life with the Father. And it all happened in this story at a well where she had tried to find fulfillment in life from so many things and she had tried to find purpose and meaning in life out of relationships that continued to end and Jesus came and said, there is one place to find life and it's the living water that God and God alone offers to us. He does the exact same thing to us today. And praise him that he is still seeking sinners today. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a moment and let you have some time just to sit with these words. And to pray whatever is on your heart to God. In our family prayer time where we usually spend time praying with others and around the room maybe. Today I want it to just be with you. Now if you've got family or someone close to you and you want to lean over and pray, that's absolutely okay but I want you to spend a few moments in prayer to God, and we're going to play a song as we do that. But let's spend some time responding to God, spend some time listening to Him, and spend some time hearing from Him right now. Give me water from the well that never runs dry. I want to pray just for a moment for all of us as we close out this time together and as we spend these moments together and ask you to hear this. Father God, we pray to you right now. and We pray that you would help us to be the people you've called us to be. We move past the hurt in our life and we acknowledge you as our Father. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for this teaching. It's through Jesus that I pray. Amen. So as we close at this time, I again want to remind you and ask you to be in prayer for our church this week as BBS happens. We're excited about that and we're ready for it and excited for the things that God is going to do um, through all of that. I pray that the message that you heard today and what we've been able to talk about from John chapter 4 has been a blessing to you. And I want you to know that if you want to go further in conversation um, about God, I would be glad to tell you more about that and talk about questions you have answers uh, try to give you that kind of stuff or just listen if you need someone to pray with there's a lot of us around here that would love to do that and I am going to be up here at the front for the rest of our worship service and Kelly sometimes goes to the back I'm just going to be up here and so don't leave here if you still have something in your heart or something that needs to come off of your heart Um, and the same thing is true if you say hey today I need to be baptized into Christ we're ready it's not the waters of Jacob's well it's the waters of baptism Um, but living water of Christ is here for you today. So thankful for your time being here today. We're going to sing a song about the Lord right now. I'm going to turn it back over to James.